today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. It was a bill as a well, one of the hottest and probably most important presidential debates in the history of the United States. I'm not so sure uh, if it lived up to that billing. It certainly was one of the most bizarre evenings in Cleveland uh, last evening between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Uh, this is a little sample of, uh, of how the event went. Vote and let your senators know how you strongly you feel. Let, vote now. You pack Make court? sure you, in fact, let people know you're a senator. I'm not going to answer the question. Why because, would you answer that because question? Because the you question put is, a lot of the question Supreme is, Court the radical question, left. Will you shut who is up, your, man? Listen. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, uh, it kind of went downhill from there. Uh, Reggie Cicchini, of course, uh, Global News Washington reporter, joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Uh, Reggie, uh, bizarre doesn't even begin to describe what we watched last night, does it? Uh, no, it was it was um, it, it did a disservice to anybody who was in the United States uh, as a potential undecided voter looking for some kind of policy or way to kind of frame how they may cast their ballot uh, in the coming weeks before election day. It really was something that we've never seen before in U.S. presidential debates, uh, and it calls into question as to whether, at least during this campaign cycle, uh, if further debates will be any different than what we saw last night. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, because that's some of the speculation I've seen on some of the, the, the wire services that I've been following this morning, is they just figured, you know what, pack this in. Now, it's not really up to the candidates to do that, is it? No, no um, well, I mean, look, the, the candidates could say that they're not going to partake in a debate, and that would essentially kind of uh, make it a, a null reason to have the debate going forward. But Donald Trump and Joe Biden have said that they are interested in partaking in debate number two. Uh, there are going to be clear questions raised with the uh, nonpartisan committee on presidential elections to see if the format could potentially be different. We know the second debate is going to be more town hall style with questions asked from the audience, so that could potentially make things different. But also remember, this isn't the 1960s when televised presidential debates first started, and social media didn't exist to be able to get a grip and, and a grasp on who these presidential candidates are. So when they come to the stage to, to, to take part in these debates, if you have nothing new to offer, what's the point of having somebody tune in to watch? That's the question that needs to be asked. Your point's well taken, though. I mean, the statistics seem to indicate there's not a whole lot of people out in the American public right now that haven't made up their minds, are there? No, there's roughly between 10 and 15 percent of the United States which are saying that they're undecided. And again, last night, if they were looking for some kind of policy to figure out which way to cast their vote, they were likely pushed away from both of the candidates on stage uh, for different reasons. Joe Biden wasn't able to uh, put forth uh, a broad policy platform outside of what was demonstrated during the national convention uh, because he was interrupted so frequently by President Trump. President Trump, on the other hand, doesn't have a policy platform to put forward because there wasn't one adopted at the Republican National Convention. So he used this as an opportunity to run not only like a challenger, uh, but to simply make this a vote about himself, not even about his legacy or where he wants to go, simply a reason to keep him in power. Let's talk a little bit about style. We'll get into this a little bit <clears throat> Excuse me, later on. Uh, Trump's was Trump. I mean, you know, he's, we, we know that this is the way the guy talks. I mean, he did a little bit of that during the Clinton debates uh, four years ago. Uh, he really ramped it up this time. Uh, but did anybody score? If anybody's scoring at home, Reggie, did anybody actually score? And by that, I mean get their point across, a policy point or something that would resonate with, with their base? Well, look, for Joe Biden, the only real policy platform he was able to kind of get out there had to do with climate uh, and how he would deal with the environment. Uh, and it really led to another spar between Biden and Trump over the Green New Deal and Joe Biden's policy and his kind of difference in policies from the far left, or, uh, the far left part 
uh, of the Democratic Party. Uh, and while President Trump tried to say, look, you don't endorse the Green New Deal, that's going to split you even further away from people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Moments later, AOC then tweeted to say that that's why she's a part of Joe Biden's uh, uh, kind of committee on environmental policy, uh, because she wants to be able to have her voice heard and work together to try and get a broad policy platform out there. That potentially backfired on President Trump last night. Uh, the president himself, he didn't have anything to talk about that wasn't circular arguments that we've heard over the last four years or baseless conspiracy theories uh, about mail voting and, and kind of election integrity. This, you know, at the end of all of it, it really simply was a bizarre 90 minutes to watch because it didn't really lead to any results. One of the people that uh, seems to be on the hot seat right now is uh, Chris Wallace from Fox News, of course, who was the moderator last night, uh, suggesting that he could have and should have done a lot more to try to, to bring this thing back to some sense of, of reality. Is, is, is that a justified criticism in your mind, Reggie? Well, I mean, look, it's a hard job for a moderator to be uh, kind of dealing with, with how President Trump uh, reacts when he's up on stage with a microphone in front of him. And far from, you know, just walking away from, from the moderator's table, he didn't have an ability to shut the president's mic off. He raised his voice a couple of times. He told the president no. I think what's more important here is remember when President Trump said that he did his debate prep by engaging in daily conversations with the press. That is how he treated Chris Wallace last night. He simply treated him as a journalist in the press corps, not as the moderator of a debate, uh, which is why he overpowered him, which is why he put his hand up to try and stop Chris Wallace from talking. Uh, and, and it showed that there was, A, a disrespect for not only the moderator, but a disrespect really for uh, how these debates are supposed to carry forward. And somebody in Chris Wallace's position, while well, his questioning is also under question right now, uh, it, it really was a difficult spot for him to be in. Yeah, the the performance by the moderator itself, I thought, raised uh, some questions in and of itself. Uh, he seemed to almost be cozying up to Trump at times on, on kind of a folksy attitude, uh, which kind of surprised me, uh, notwithstanding the fact that, you know, he's on Fox News. But he's he's always been, I thought, very even-minded, notwithstanding his conservative views on an awful lot of things. And maybe the best example of that was uh, the interview he had with Trump two or three weeks ago that uh, that certainly uh, got an awful lot of, uh, of viewings and, uh, and uh, I think created probably a sense of animosity between the two of them but it just seemed as if, if wallace was out of control and, and that's that's a terrible thing for a moderator to have happen it, it is and, and when we're talking about the questions and that you know that that kind of feel that he was getting closer with the president i mean at times in the middle of a race conversation uh as opposed to pushing back on president trump's comments about uh, uh race or at least have him talk about the racial tensions he pivoted to say here's something that you're going to be happy with let's talk about law and order uh, and you know that could have been an opportunity for him to simply try to, to simmer the situation down a little bit. Uh, but it's also not normal to have to do that for a president to, to cozy up and say, look, here's something that's going to make you much happier uh, to talk about. But at the same time, instead of pushing hard questions on the president about 205,000 dead Americans because of COVID-19, he softballed him and then went after Joe Biden about uh, hard policy questions about environmental policy, about COVID-19, about tax platforms. Uh, it really was an uneven uh, uh, kind of uh, throw of questions across the stage. And, and, and again, it made it come across as this was a Fox News debate. It, it certainly had that tone, didn't it? Because there were some things, including, let's face it, the revelations in the New York Times this week about Trump's financial status, uh, that probably should have had more scrutiny uh, and didn't. Uh, and you're right. I mean, there were answers and very few follow-up uh, questions to the, to the answers that Trump gave. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, look, the number one question that was asked last night was about the vacancy on the Supreme Court. 
there again, there are 206,000 Americans who have died from COVID-19. Seven million people have been impacted. The president's uh, response has been called into question since February, especially since we now know that he knew the severity of it. And that wasn't the first question that was asked. This was playing to an audience of Donald Trump's base who might have been watching on Fox News or on one of the right wing uh, uh, platforms online that President Trump is cozy with. Uh, it, it really, again, that's why we keep bringing it back to these undecided voters. This didn't do anything for somebody who, who, who doesn't know where to cast their ballot. But given the, the questioning about race and the questioning about COVID-19, it also didn't offer any kind of closure or sympathy or empathy to the people who have been impacted by concurrent crises in this country. Well, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the reaction from Capitol Hill uh, later on today. With, uh, you're reporting on Global National, Reggie. Thanks so much for the time today. Great talking with you again. Thank you. Reggie Cicchini, of course, a global news reporter in Washington uh, down on the Beltway. Uh, Reggie touched on one, I think, crucial moment of the debate last night, and that had to do with the racial tension that's been ongoing in the states for quite some time. And at one point, uh, Donald Trump was asked if he would condemn white nationalism. Here's what he said. What do you want to call him? Give me a name. Give me a white name. Supremacist and who right would you like supremacist. me to condemn? White proud supremacist boys. and right boys, stand back and stand by. Stand back and stand by. I guess he is talking to his base. Uh, that raised an awful lot of eyebrows and I think uh, probably turned a few people's stomachs uh, instead of condemning, of course, uh, the, the racist attitudes of some of these groups. Uh, he seemed to basically say stand by as if they were his troops. I mean, it was a rather bizarre moment. I want to bring Bernie Farber into the conversation. Bernie, of course, is the chair of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network and always a welcome guest on this program. Bernie, how are you this morning? Well, I'm good, Bill, and, and again, thank you for having me on in what is probably one of the more bizarre mornings following the night before. It certainly is. And that particular moment, Bernie, I, I think it caught a lot, a lot of people off guard. I mean, we've heard the quotes of the past. We've heard uh, good people on both sides. Uh, he's never actually condemned any of the, the, the racist activity that's gone on in the streets of the, uh, of the United States cities over the last little while. So I suppose there's a little part of us that shouldn't be surprised, but it's just the same. For him to come out and say that at that particular moment, I thought was just incredible. No, it was, it was more than incredible, Bill. I mean, let's, let's be clear. This is, for better and probably for worse, the President of the United States of America, uh, doing a shout-out, for lack of a better term, um, to one of the most despicable, uh, extreme, vile, racist, white supremacist-loving groups in, in North America. And also, let's, let's not be too smug here in Canada, because the, the seeds of Proud Boys actually began with a fellow by the name of Grant McInnes, who's Canadian, and who began it right here in this country. So uh, we have, I think, a lot to be afraid about uh, this morning. Um, it, it, it boggles my mind that at a time when racism and xenophobia, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism is reaching highs that we have never seen since uh, before World War II, uh, that the the leader of the so-called free world would stand up uh, to an inter in, with an international audience watching and uh, exhort his right-wing white supremacist minions to stand back and stand by we know what that means uh, and they certainly took it that way because immediately literally bill immediately after he made that call, the Proud Boys started putting out credos on Twitter and, and, and other social media platforms 
with that call out, stand back, stand by, proud boys, and they sent it out to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. So, you know, I, I think we're in for some very dark times in a very, very dark time. Was he basically giving us an inkling as to what he's going to do or how he's going to respond if, in fact, he loses yeah. the election November the 3rd? I, I mean, they're, they're, we're, we're fearful of insurrection. Uh, it sounds to me as that was a call to motivate the troops. I think his, it's more than his anything. I, I think he, he, he couldn't be clearer. Um, he has been doing this from, you know, since, since really the, uh, the election cycle began, uh, making uh, Americans fearful of, of voting through mail-in ballots, which he himself uses, uh, suggesting that his, uh, what, what his own son is calling, quote, Trump's army, unquote, should be on the streets at polling places, you know, watching the vote. I mean, this is, it sounds more like a banana republic than it does a great democracy. Uh, you know, we send um, election watchers, election uh, guides uh, to, to various non-democratic countries to, to watch election procedures. Perhaps we should be sending them really to the United States. I mean, that, it sounds so bizarre to say this, but, uh, you know, the, the destruction of society begins with one tiny terror pill. And this is exactly what, what uh, Trump uh, planted last night. Uh, and it, it really, it, I find it hugely horrifying. I find it disturbing to, to you know, that, that this is happening. And by the way, I think, I, I believe that other uh, world leaders need to speak out about this because as they remain quiet, that gives him kind of, you know, permission in his mind, yeah. in his adult mind, that he can continue because nobody of any consequence, you know, just the media or people like myself and other advocates are, are calling him out on it. I think prime ministers and presidents and kings and queens and others have to stand up finally and say enough is enough. I remember the 1968 presidential race, as you do, Bernie. That was uh, where Nixon beat uh, Hubert Humphrey by a slight margin. But one of the other candidates for president that year was George Wallace, uh, the governor of Alabama. Uh, and because of an assassination attempt, of course, he, he was crippled. Uh, but he was a racist. I, I mean, we know his history. And I, I remember the commentators in those days saying, well, it's, we know racism exists, but there's no way the American public are actually going to want a guy like George Wallace as president. Well, they got one. Well, this and this is a, this is a weird thing for for people like you and I who who can set our minds back and for students of history they should read up about that time. Um, today, uh, Donald Trump um, is worse than George Wallace ever was, uh, and, and yet he has been chosen, uh, for, you know, for as president of the United States. Not my guess, um, and I'm I'm i you know I also guess that. Donald Trump wouldn't be president, you know, in 2016. So take it for what it's worth. But I, I think that uh, we're, we're going to see a landslide in in, in November the third. I know people say to me, "Yeah, yeah, this is wishful thinking," but I think Americans, for the most part, when push comes to shove, um, they they make the right decision and they make it properly. Uh, and I think they've had enough drama. I think they just, you know, like last night, it was. A friend of mine just said it was like the World Wrestling Federation's advertising when, yeah. you know, the bad guy yells at the good guy and they start fighting. That's what it felt like. It's, you know, 
even circus owners wrote a, a tweet last night, apparently, don't compare this to a circus. Circuses are much better coordinated. Hmm. This was just a wild, wild scene that nobody could have ever believed possible. But put aside the wild scene for a moment and, and think. P- groups like Proud Boys and Soldiers of Odin and other of these you know, white supremacist groups have committed violence on our streets. We know that. We've, they've already done it. And when the President of the United States says, stand back and stand by to these groups that we know are violent, well, what, what does that mean? That gives them more than permission. They're getting, they're getting ready. And unless the police, the National Guard, and others in the United States are preparing a plan to, to safeguard citizens of their country, I think we're going to see, as I said, some very, very dark times. Very troubling times, uh, and two more debates to go. But you're right; it's going to be interesting to see just uh, how this rolls out and the reaction we're going to get from uh, those groups, but also, as you say, world leaders. Uh, somebody has to step up. Bernie, we're just about out of time. Thanks as always. Great Thanks. talking with you Take again care, today. Take care, Bill. Bernie Farber, of course, from the Anti Hate Network. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Still a lot of feedback and pushback about what happened in Cleveland last night. The presidential debate, the first of three between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, and uh, the uh, the reaction from from a number of people, especially from those in the media who've been covering these for years and years, was was just astounding. As a matter of fact, uh, gobsmacked. I think a lot of them were feeling. Aaron Katursky is one of those people that's been around for a long time, covering many presidential debates, and this is uh, this is his report. None of that is true. Oh, it's really? Totally he didn't get it. No, Mr. President. In a disorienting debate, President Trump and Joe Biden clashed on health care, the coronavirus, and policing, often in ways chaotic and unpleasant. There's nothing smart about you, Joe. There were angry interruptions, bitter accusations. Accusations and such badgering. At one point, Biden snapped, Will you shut up, man? As the president sought to dominate the conversation, he also sidestepped when asked to condemn white supremacists. I'm willing to do anything. I want to see peace. Then do it, sir. Say it. Do it. Say it. There are two more of these debates to go. Aaron Katursky, ABC News. I want to bring Laura Babcock, president of Power Group, into the conversation. Laura, thank you so much for the time. Uh, Have you gotten over last night yet? <laughs> Doesn't feel like it, Bill. <laughs> I, I, you know, we expected something weird, okay? Because it's Donald Trump, and we saw the, his performance against Hillary Clinton four years ago. You know, walking up and you know, looking over her shoulder while she's speaking and, and interrupting her as as he did. Uh, but boy, he he just ramped it up last night. Well, he had to show up and mobilize his base because when you look at the polls. You know, they're still saying there's about 14%, I think, that are undecided. I really don't believe that. This is such a bifurcated election. Uh, the, the choice is so clear. I think that really those people are probably Trump supporters who haven't been willing to say that they're going to support Trump. We saw a bit of that in the last election. So I, it really was where to get their base excited. And so from that point of view, Trump had nothing to do but go for broke to bring chaos. I mean, chaos was the strategy. And so he showed up and he was chaotic, didn't follow the rules, didn't even pretend that we saw him do a little last election cycle back in 2016. What he really needs is this feeling of everything. Look how strong, look how dominant I am. So from that point, well, we seem to have lost Laura. I'll tell you what, we're going to take a second. We'll try to reconnect here and try to get a stronger line here, too. Too many dropouts in that situation. Really looking forward to what Laura's got to say about this. Uh, Power Group, of course, is an organization that uh, 
does an awful lot of consulting, politicians, public figures, and a number of others, uh, and talks about style and talks about being an effective public speaker, getting your point across and winning people over, among other things, of course, that they do. And uh, that's, I wanted to get her perspective on her through that lens, uh, just to and see it, exactly how people are going to perceive this. And uh, her point's well taken. Uh, there's a political base there for Donald Trump, as there is for the Democratic Party as well. Uh, and rallying that base is going to be one of the key elements in, who, in who's going to win this thing on November the 3rd. Uh, simply because you know that they're going to be there. Uh, there's a very small chance that people that are hardcore uh, Trump supporters would be swayed to go and vote for Joe Biden and the Democratic Party in this situation. Uh, conversely, uh, there's a slim chance that people that are Democrats or have been Democrats for many, many years would slide over to Trump, although that seems to be what happened four years ago. Uh, for one reason or another, a number of people that had voted Democratic for many, many years uh, just did not ha- like Hillary Clinton for one reason or another uh, and decided that they were going to go and vote for Donald Trump. They called them the Obama-Trump uh, folks, not like not unlike Reagan Democrats uh, back in that era, too. So that's that's going to be one of the subplots, I guess, as to what's going on. I think we have Laura Babcock from uh, Power Group back with us. Uh, sorry about the technical foul-up, but uh, we're, I guess you and I both used to the remote broadcast and the perils <laughs> that can go with that from time to time, aren't we? <laughs> Absolutely. So where can I pick up for you, Bill? Uh, just go, you're, you're, the answer that you're talking about about style and 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 the attempt by i guess both guys last night to try to appeal to their their base yeah so what we saw was as i said trump ratcheted up the chaos factor right and he also sent a powerful stand by and wait for me to uh to a domestic terror organization which i'm sure we'll probably get to but one of the things he achieved was i'm dominant i don't care you know i'm in charge of this chaotic place what Biden tried to do, of course, and he did to a certain extent, he checked Trump in real time. He said some of the things that I'm sure many people have wanted someone to say to Trump, which is essentially, you know, just shut up, man. And it's already a T-shirt, of course. That was a, a moment. And he also looked directly to camera, which was his, definitely his strongest tactic, and said, you know, beyond the chaos of this guy over here, this is about your health care, this is about your family. So, so Biden had his moments just enough, I think, to give the Democrats a sense of, okay, that felt kind of good. He didn't totally back down. But Biden, it was not his best performance. It wasn't as bad as Obama's first performance when yeah. he kind of showed up half half uh, half connected to the audience and didn't look like he wanted to be there. But there were moments where it was painful because you saw Biden almost as though, I mean, his team kept saying, oh, he's prepped to fight Trump. No, Trump showed up for a cage match with the moderator and with, Biden and Biden showed up like he'd been prepped for a traditional debate. You know, when his time, when Trump would cut him off, he'd, he'd wait for the moderator to signal that he got permission, or he'd say passive aggressively, "Well, that was a productive segment." But he sometimes he smiled instead of answering to some of these claims and getting some stronger messaging out. So from that point of view, I think it was frustrating for a lot of Democrats watching. Uh, Biden didn't do quite as much to get his people riled up, I would argue, as Trump did. I think Biden won the debate in the sense that if you were looking at it and you weren't a Trump supporter, you would say, okay, one of these people on the stage seems respectable and responsible, and the other one, oh my goodness. Uh, so from that point of view, I think that the polls have come out that people give Biden a slight edge in winning the debate, but I don't think he did enough, and we'll see whether or not he should even be doing another one. You know, one of the commentators I was watching earlier this morning on, on television uh, was was 
well, I'm basing, well, Trump, not just for his, his performance, but for his lack of policy. Uh, they don't have a policy. I mean, Donald Trump has never had policy on it. He just vote for me because I'm Donald Trump. And that's essentially what the Republicans said at their convention a couple of months ago. There was no policy discussion at all. They simply said, yeah, whatever he wants, we're, we're behind him. So we shouldn't have expected anything except what we saw last night. Well, Trump's whole strategy from a communications point of view has always been, and this way predates politics, just wait and see. People are saying it's going to be great. Wait and see. You know, more later. He's been saying, I'll have a, a health care plan ready in two weeks for four years, right? He's constantly just kicking the can down the road, dismissing people's questions on policy or on specifics with this kind of overarching, I'm in charge, I'm the man, you know, I'll get back to you. That's what he's always done. So if he'd gone there, it wouldn't have mattered if he'd prepped. And I, as I understand, it, they, they just kind of tried out uh, hit lines. They didn't really care about policy because he doesn't have any. He can't speak to his record. Had it been a traditional debate, Trump would have been exposed even more so for, you know, his handling of COVID and everything else. And so they walked in there with a strategy of saying, you know, if we can't win the game with the existing rules, let's just throw the rules in the air. Let's try to change the field in our advantage. And that should have been predicted by the Biden team. So when Biden got upset, if you listen to some of those clips that are coming out, when they're all pushed together in these montages, which is what most people are going to hear today in the spin cycle, it does sound as though Trump got under Biden's skin. It does sound as though Biden at times you know, took took a little bit too much indulgence with Trump. And, and you know that old expression, when you don't wrestle with a, a pig, one of you gets dirty and the other one enjoys it, right? <laughs> or you both get dirty and the other enjoys it. You can't let somebody drag you down to the point where you're not being, as he is trying to brand himself, the decency candidate, the, the adult in the room, the respectable, kind Joe. You can't be standing up there for 90 minutes getting giving insults schoolyard insults to somebody else as, as odious as you might find that other person or as much as they might be lying because it, end up, it ends up looking bad on you so I, I think that biden has got to really think about his strategy should he choose to engage trump again was last night a microcosm of, of the trump campaign as he's run it so far because we saw and have heard inklings of that over the last couple of weeks laura where he's talked about and he's been asked as he was last night what if you don't win uh this election what are you going to do and of course he, he, he wouldn't give a direct answer except for calling out the, the 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 white racist and supremacist in a situation like this but it's chaos in other words he, he's the numbers indicate that he's he's got an uphill battle to try to to get a second term so he's just going to throw everything at this thing and try to ruin the whole process whether it's a you know it's a hoax uh, these ballots uh, should be tossed out uh you know i'm not going away anytime soon he's going to do what he can to try to corrupt the whole system now and that's, well, that's what he did last night really well that's exactly what he did he he cannot win legitimately had had he done a, an old school presidential debate policy policy sections all that kind of stuff what are his policies what is his depth of knowledge how can he discuss the fine points he can't and you know what? A lot of Americans, or at least 40%, seem okay with that as long as he cuts taxes and, and seems like a tough guy. So he could not possibly win the election on that kind of traditional track, nor could he win the debate last night. So what he does is he says, you know what? These conventions, uh, who's going to stop me, right? Trump's approach to everything is always, I'm going to do what I want to do, and we'll see who stops me. And he's had a life of not being stopped. Uh, you know, he continually litigates his way out of things or, or distracts his way out of things. He's very, very good at that. And so I have never for one moment, Bill, thought that this election was not Donald Trump's to lose. 
he is he's very powerful at this. And when you give him a medium like last night uh, stage with possibly, you know, 100 million viewers or whatever it's going to turn out to be, he has an opportunity to absolutely do what he does best stir chaos, false information, propaganda. And to your point about, you know, microcosm of the campaign, Trump is saying those things because he's always said those things. He doesn't intend on leaving the office. Why would he? He's got tremendous power. We found out this week he's got tremendous debt. Uh, and he's also got a whole bunch of, of legal problems that are coming at him once he loses his presidential protection. So why would he leave? And I think people have to hear him when he says to the, the Proud Boys, you know what, just stand stand down, but stand by. In other words, if I, if I don't like how it looks like it's going to be on Election Day, I'm going to call out, you know, there was even a URL he used the other day that had Trump's army in it. He's going to call out his army. He's going to call out people to intimidate at the polls, potentially. And if he, he doesn't like the results of the election, which we might not get in for weeks, what is that intervening chaos going to look like? How far is he going to go? You know, he has every reason in the world not to lose this election. Uh, forget it about gracefully. He's got every reason not to lose it at all. And that looks very much autocratic. That looks like a dictator. That looks like fascism. And Americans are going to have to decide uh, what are we willing to do to make sure that those worst case scenarios don't come to fruition. If you uh, were in the bullpen uh, to be the moderator of the next debate, and I believe it's uh, what his name is. I know Kristen Welker is doing the third one. I think it's uh, some. Is it uh, CBS from 60 Minutes? One of the one of the crew mm-hmm. on there. How do you prepare for this? Clearly, and and I know there's been a lot of criticism about Chris Wallace, but I'm and, uh, you know, and and there were times where I thought he was a little patronizing towards Trump uh, and and a little harder on Biden uh, than a moderator should be in situations like that. But at the same token, uh, the criticism for him mostly that I'm hearing is that he just couldn't control this. Can anybody? Well, that's a fascinating question. As you know, Bill, you've sat on the dais as a candidate when I've moderated debates. Yes. <laughs> and, and it is a and very, it got a little crazy from tough. time to time. Yeah, exactly. And it is a very tough, tough role. Uh, and so I was trying to give Wallace as much space as possible, because even if you have some seasoned candidates who are very good in the debate format, which I've had on the dais, they can try to dominate, they can try to work the moderator. But what you had with Trump last night was someone who showed up who had no interest in even being somewhat restrained. His goal was actually to disrupt. And I can only think of a few times in the history of all the debates I've done where there were some really fringe candidates who might have shown up with with nothing more than the, the agenda to disrupt. And they are difficult to deal with, but no way on the level of Donald Trump. So Wallace, I thought where he lost control was when he started to placate Trump, when he mm-hmm. started to say, oh, you'll like this one, Mr. President. Oh, wait, 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 you'll, you'll like this. And what on earth is that? That's how you talk to a child who's out of control. And, and I'm not arguing that Trump wasn't acting immature, but when he started to do that, it started to look as though uh, he was almost begging for Trump to be part of that. And that, that was really tough on Chris Wallace's reputation. So how do you control the next one? I think the presidential uh, group that looks at these debates has to look at their 1960s sort of protocols and say, okay, given this situation, what do we do? Do we kill the mic? Do we have a kill the mic switch? Do we set them up in a different kind of a format? Do we cut out those, those in-between exchanges that were really where it got off the rails? They're going to have to look at it from a formatting point of view to tighten it up, Bill, given the challenge. Uh, but they also have to look at it from a moderator's point of view. Can the moderator walk away? 
to stop it if they have to. What are those those sort of emergency protocols that we've never needed before, but they need to be on the table and understood? You know, because if Biden were to walk away, which is what a lot of people wanted, Biden would have looked weak. Trump was never going to walk away. He loves this stuff. So does the moderator have a way of effectively not punishing, but implementing the agreed upon rules in a way that is much more definitive? Can they shut down the debate? Uh, So we have to really look at that before the next one. I think you're going to see Team Biden looking at that as well and saying to the Presidential Commission on Debates, there has to be some sort of a mechanism for someone who's not showing up in good faith. Well, a kill switch on the mic would be a good start. I don't know. They, I'm told the second one. By the way, uh, Scott Pelley from CBS uh, 60 Minutes is, uh, is going to be the moderator for the second debate. Uh, and it's going to be more of a town hall, which probably indicates there's going to be just more chaos in this thing, too. i uh, got a couple of minutes left here. Uh, we, we Trump was Trump last night, as, as you've said. We've talked about him for many, many years, long before he actually uh, won the presidency. And he hasn't changed his style at all. Uh Biden, as you say, uh, didn't lose last night, but, uh, you know, the, as you say, there were some shortcomings in this whole thing. You know, one of the commentators says, you know, the old idea is you know, he, he brought a knife to a gunfight. Uh, you know, he was armed, but not armed for, the, for what he was going to have to face in a situation like this. What does he do? Does he, does he dial it back a little bit? Does he, you don't want him to get down in the mud with the other guy. I think at this point, what's really effective for Biden to do it, and I saw it done actually once in a in a debate that I was moderating, and it didn't make sense, and it didn't work for the candidate then in a in a in a you know six four people on the dais. It seemed kind of obnoxious where they just kept talking direct to camera and, and ignoring the other ones. But I think with Biden, his best moments were when he cut through the chaos, which is really his opponent on that stage is chaos. It's not Trump, it's chaos, right? When he cut through the chaos and he looked into the camera. And so I, what I would do if I were prepping Biden is I would say, okay, we know the range of attacks that Trump's going to come with, you know, all from the extreme to the bizarre, whatever, uh, on each of those. Rather than just smiling and, and sort of shaking your head in disbelief, look to camera, set the record straight, talk directly to the American people. So he can rage in chaos and, and, and plant all these seeds of whatever if he wants to, but you don't leave any of them on the table. Do not leave any messaging on the table. Last night he did that too many times because he's still operating within this sort of scope of tradition and decency. So if Trump says something, you look at camera and you say, that's a lie and here's why and here's what I'm going to do for you. What we didn't see Biden able to do last night, Bill, was share his vision for the country. He was so busy being appalled by Trump's behavior uh, and getting dragged into some of the muck that he didn't set forth what he would do. So on every single one, he should pivot and say, that's not true. Here's what I'm going to do for you. If he can just do that, then he's going to be further ahead than he was last night. Uh, Reagan did that to Jimmy Carter way back when in 1980, wasn't it? Was it there you go again and just went on to make his own point? Well, that's the point, uh, and, is that Biden wasn't pivoting last night. Yeah. Biden was absorbing, deflecting, trying to survive, but he was not pivoting. And pivoting is tough, we all know that, uh, but he's got to get better at the pivot. Because I, I have to tell you, I was looking at that going, boy, I wish it was Kamala up there, because Kamala would have pivoted and attacked on every single point and counterpoint, right? So so Biden's got to toughen up a little bit on his messaging discipline before he goes in front of Trump again. Well, uh, they're all going over the tapes this morning, and it's going to be fascinating to see just uh, what they come up with in the, ne- in the next one. Uh, Laura, as always, uh, always a pleasure to have you on here. Thanks so much for this today and for your perspective. Thanks, Bill. Laura Babcock, of course, uh, president of uh, Power Group. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.